Every artist wants to hear that somebody responds to their work. So if you could say in a genuine way, but also in a, in, in a specific way, something about their work that moved you, motivated you, touched you, you're giving them a gift. You don't need to do more than that. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. I'm here today with Carol Kirshner, who's the director of the WGA Showrunner Training Program. You're also the creator and director of the Paramount Writers Mentoring Program. You're also the author of Hollywood Game Plan, How to Land a Job in Film, TV, or Digital Entertainment. I'm going to have to take a breath because I'm just getting started. So many things that must be listed. You've also spent 15 years as a television development executive and former vice president of television for Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment. You were also a comedy development exec at CBS. And on top of all of this and much more that I don't even have time to go into because we only have 90 minutes. You're also an international speaker and entertainment career coach. I'm already exhausted and I haven't introduced you yet. Carol, what a Hello. wonderful pleasure to have you here. So excited about this today. Well, I'm so excited to be here. I'm honored to be here given what your mission is and the fact that we share so many values, I can tell, and so many approaches in, in the same way to do it, in a humane and yet realistic, no BS, but supportive way. Yeah, I agree. And I, I got so I, I very rarely do I use the word lucky because you have an entire chapter in your book on luck. I feel very much the same way. But there is an element of luck in that I discovered your mentee, Nicole, Nicole Levy, somewhat randomly through an email message from a publicist. I interviewed her. Absolute gem of a person. Great conversation. Gem. We're going to put a link in the show notes to that conversation with her, which then led me to discovering you. And then once I discovered you in your book and I'm reading through it, I'm thinking, if I didn't have timestamps on my website and my content over 10 years, you would sue me for plagiarism. 
because you and I are on so many of the same pages, similar frameworks yeah. with slightly different yeah. names, uh, with very different or very uh, similar missions and values. So just yes. to, to meet a like-minded peer slash expert advisor in the same space in a totally different craft was so enlightening and motivating for me, because as I'm sure you might attest to, when you decide you want to put yourself out there beyond your craft and you actually want to be a teacher or a coach, it's it's kind of tumbleweeds. You don't have a giant peer group of people that understand what you're going through. It's a relatively new field. So yeah. to have somebody that's been as successful as you are, that's validating a lot of the same ideas that I've been brainstorming and helping my students with, um, Needless to say, it's just it's all uh, it's all very exciting for me to know that you and I get to have this conversation on the record today. Yeah, me too. I'm really looking forward to it, Zach. So where I actually want to start is given everything that I listed about development executive and working for studios and all these other areas, you're talking by and large to vast majority of below the line craftspeople. And as soon as we hear studio executives like, no, no, oh my God, they don't understand us, right? This, yes. They don't get how this really works. And I just, I want to read from a couple of things from your book that just absolutely bounced off the page. And I've probably never gone into the appendix of somebody's book at the beginning of an interview. However, <laughs> when I read appendix A of your book, I'm like, oh my God, you so understand us. So basically what you have is the Hollywood English Writer's Dictionary. To schmooze equals to befriend scum. To pitch <laughs> equals to grovel shamelessly. To freelance equals to collect unemployment. Producer is a frustrated writer. Writer is a frustrated director. Director is a frustrated actor. And actor is a frustrated human. And <laughs> of the many others, the last one I pulled up that I thought editors and writers would appreciate the most, try and punch it up actually equals I have absolutely no idea what I want. Yes. So exactly. I, I say all of that to make it very clear to my audience, you get us. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very, very excited, uh, very excited about the, the fact that even though you're on the a different side of the business and the industry, you really get both the business of Hollywood and the art and the craft of Hollywood. Absolutely. And, and they go together, show, business, mm -hmm. the show, the art, the craft, business. It's a business and you have to approach it that way. You yeah, know what so I mean? Here's where I actually want to start because uh, yeah. I, I, one of the areas where you and I are very similar is when it comes to the idea of pitching yourself or branding yourself or putting yourself out there, you have to be a great storyteller. That to me is the foundation. And there are many frameworks that you have that are similar to mine with slightly different names. But I actually want to start with uh, a part of your story that really intrigues me. When I list off the resume and all the things that you've done at the studio level, the executive level, literally spent years working with Steven Spielberg himself. Not years, two years. Two Let's years. Be honest, two years. But two years is years. It's not. It's it not is, singular. It is, it is years. I don't want it. I don't want to blow it out of proportion. Sure, and and I appreciate that. But the, there are a few people that can say I worked two years helping develop projects with uh, with Spielberg himself. True. The true. the point being that it brought up the very first question that I have, which is. Why teach? Why be a coach? It doesn't seem like you need to be a career coach or a teacher or an online writer. Like you clearly have been very successful in the industry. So why decide that I want to go down this path? Really good question. And, and there's a couple of answers to that. One is I always wanted to be a teacher when I was like 10. I would play teacher. I would uh, Xerox uh, tests and hand it out to my friends. I just love teaching. I, I started as a stand-up comic. So I love to perform and to be able to perform and have it have meaningful content 
is the best for me. Also, being an executive is is fun, but stressful. The perks are amazing, especially working for Steven. The perks are ridiculous. You just, the three most powerful words in the business when I was working with him was Steven would like. And that's all you had to say and you got everything you wanted. But the politics are terrible. I hate politics. I hate, that that was like 70% of the job and the creative was 30% of the job. And it just wasn't what I wanted anymore. Now as a consultant, you know, to the Writers Guild of America and the CBS Paramount, you know, uh, Writers Mentoring Program and, you know, to people that, invite me and hire me to uh, teach. All I have to do is make one person happy. And I love that. And my whole, my whole ethos is um, how, how can I make your life easier? You know, what, no ego, just let me help you. How can I help you? And living like that is so much less stressful, so much more enjoyable. And does that answer your question? Uh, not only does it answer my question, but it just goes deep to the root of how similar you and I really are. Because um, I too, I've been told my entire life against my will when I was younger, oh, you will be a teacher. My father's a teacher. My mother is a teacher. My aunt is a teacher. My grandmother was a teacher. Oh my. And my wife is a teacher. Oh, by really? the way, two of my sisters are teachers. So education wow. is who we are in my family. And of mm -hmm. course, I'm like, I'm not going to be a teacher. I'm going to go yes. to Hollywood and I'm going to make movies and I'm going to be a film star and I'm going to act and direct and eventually led to editing. Um, and then all of a sudden, same thing as you, climb to the very highest levels, at least in the TV editing world, and realized I just can't stand the politics. I just, I can't. Yeah. I love the craft. I love the art. I love a lot of the people, not all of them. Um, but in by and large, I love the people that I spend my time with, but the politics are just killing me. Also, killing. the hours, the demands, the, the unrealistic expectations were killing me. And when I realized that my identity was so wrapped up in this one thing that I did, my craft, I'm like, what, what could I possibly do to make a living? And then it just, it evolved over time to a first a podcast, then a blog, then a course, then coaching. It's like, oh, I'm just a 21st century teacher. Like it's different than the way that my, <laughs> my wife does it for LAUSD in a third grade classroom. Right. But I teach for a living slash I'm an entrepreneur. And yes. that's where I think that you and I have, uh, have so many similarities. And Absolutely. What one of the things that I found really interesting and kind of where I want to start that'll lead us into this idea of better telling your story is you talk about these basic qualifications that you think most people need to have. Most of them are what you would expect, but there was one that stuck out to me. And it said that you need to be entrepreneurial, which I agree with, but most people that just want to start at the bottom rung of the ladder and climb the career ladder, they would think, I don't want to be an entrepreneur. I just want to be a writer or an editor or a director. But I want to know why you had entrepreneurial on the list. I know why I would have it, but I'm curious why you had it on your list. Two reasons. One is that um, regardless of what your job is, you're an editor in your... Are you still editing or is that in your previous life? Uh, for the most part, I've retired. I'm going to be finishing up the final season of Cobra Kai. But other than that, nice. I've retired and I'm not taking any future editing gigs. And this is now what I do all day, every day. So Fabulous. Well... If you were working as an editor, if you work as an editor, if you work as a writer, a director, a cinematographer, your work is your business and you have to be entrepreneurial. You can't, you can do whatever you want, of course. I never say you can't, but for 
the best outcome, you have to think about your career as your business. Um, and, and the other part of it is, this is a gig economy. I'm sure people, you've, you've, that was your experience. That was my experience. And in a gig economy, you have to be an entrepreneur. You have to keep looking for new work. You have to expand out what you do and who you know. And if you are a creator, the reason why you need to be an entrepreneur is these days, there's no barrier to creating and breaking through. And, but you have to want to do it. You have to know how to You have to have the talent, the art, the craft, but you also have to know how to market. And that's entrepreneurship as well. So that's why I do. We're we're totally on the same page. And what I always say, similar to what you said, is I'll talk often. One of the things that I uh, do when I do a live event is I say, how many of you in here are business owners? Out of 107 raise their hands. I'm like, right. sorry, how many of you are business owners? Nine hands. I'm like, every hand in this room needs to be up right now. Everybody here not only has a product, you are not only the product, you are also the service. You have to think like an entrepreneur because there is no world at this point where you get in at the bottom rung of one company, you prove yourself, you get good at your craft, 35 years later, you retire with a gold watch. It just does not work that way. Even in the agency structure, even in the studio structure, nobody in that world climbs one ladder and gets to the top. There is no more ladder. It's all about paths. And that's where I believe like you do that having the entrepreneurial spirit and understanding how do I package, how do I market myself, how do I brand myself, or more importantly, how do I not have to do any of those if I'm a good storyteller, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's where I think you and I are in in such agreement. So one of the areas I want to start going into is helping entrepreneurs slash creatives slash artists slash storytellers. How do we structure our story? Because we don't even think about ourselves as storytellers. We think we have to sell ourselves. And I don't think right. that's necessary. And you talk a lot about the different parts of your story, types of story, how to right. structure it. I talked about this uh, some with uh, Chris Vogler, who uh, wrote The Writer's Journey. I want to link to that episode and pair it with this one. But I would like to know from your perspective, how can I structure my story so I can make sure that I go down the path that I want to and I surround myself with the right people? Sure, sure. Um Well, what I call it, and I call it in the book, is I call it your personal PR strategy. Again, if if, if you have a business, you need a PR strategy. And I think it's made up of three things. One is your personal log line. And this is all, this is connected to writing, screenwriting. Your personal log line, which answers the question, what do you do? And the thing is, in Hollywood, I don't know about elsewhere, but in Hollywood, Everyone wants to know what you do. The truth is they want to know what you can do for them, but they're going to ask you, what do you do? And this is the 30-second answer, 30 seconds answer, um, 30 to 60 second. Then then there's what I call your personal nuggets. And I stole that term from Glenn Mazzara, who is a showrunner on The Walking Dead. And what they are is they're the anecdotes of your life. They're the gold of your life. And this harkens back to being a storyteller. They are the stories of your life and you need to be able to tell them. Um, I once heard a senior level executive say, one of the biggest sins in Hollywood is being boring, punishable (laughs) by non-employment. In this business, regardless of what your job is, you need to be engaging and you need to be memorable. 
and nuggets help you be memorable. And then the last thing is what I call your personal A story. And it's a chronological narrative of your life with you as the protagonist. It highlights what makes you memorable and different and your successes. And the narrative drive is where you started, what you had to overcome to get to where you are, and where you want to go, where you are now, where you want to go. I'm sure you've said this before, but we're all hardwired for story. And that where you started, what you had to overcome, how you overcame it, where you're going, that's story. And a personal A story goes on for about two minutes, You and it answers the question. And for anybody who's been in an interview, that it's tell me about yourself. People are going to ask you that. I don't know anybody who's been in this business who hasn't been asked that a number of times. And your personal A story is how you answer that. Yeah, this so, is one of those yeah. one of those areas where you and I uh, have different names for the exact same process. Like literally, you should be suing me for plagiarism because it's it, I can't believe how similar our approaches are. Um, the way that I talk about it is that you have to understand how to tell the story of where you are in your hero's journey. And I always say that yeah. the structure is here's what I'm doing now. So what do you currently do in your framework? Here's where I'm going next. And then the third piece that I have is here are the obstacles. Here are the things that are stopping me and where I'm seeking guidance or support. So you can ah. surround yourself with the mentors and the advisors that are like, oh, I'm really engaged and interested in your story. And I might be able to help you with this obstacle because the hero's journey is all about watching somebody accept their call to adventure and watching them go through this change and this transformation. So I think what you call the personal A story is just what I call structuring your own hero's journey so that people know right. here's where you are, where you're going next, so that I then know how can I help you after, of course, like uh, you talk about and I do as well, I want to put myself out there to make other people's lives easier and help them first. Um, right. Because if, if I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think a slight difference between what your, your hero's journey and my personal A story is mine is the story of what's happened up until this moment mm -hmm. to give them context of who they are. And then from there, it is where are you going? And I love that you would put in the obstacles to that and let people sort of lean in and see if they see if they want to help you because most people do. I mean, people think that Hollywood is everybody's a jerk and, you know, there's plenty of jerks, but everybody got here somebody, some way by somebody helping them. And most people are decent. And if they respond and resonate with your story, they will help. They'll give you at least 15 to 20 minutes of their time. Do you know what I mean? And if you impress them, we all want to find that, you know, rock star and then, you know, help them and sort of take a little credit for that. So I totally agree with you. Yeah. And the the thing that I always mention, it's the same exact conversation with my students where when they first come to me, they're like, well, everybody's busy and they're more important and nobody wants to help. And I say, if you learn how to better tell your story, it's not that people don't want to help you. It's that they don't know how to help you. And if the yes. only way they can help you is by giving you a job or passing around your resume, you are going to strike out 99 times out of 100. Exactly. But if exactly. you make it clear how they can help you, by and large, most people want to. It's tapping yes. into that. Right. That that, yes. you know, like you said, we're wired for storytelling um, It's kind of a side note. Are you familiar with Will Storr, the author Will Storr? He wrote a book called The Science of Storytelling. 
No, no, no. no. I did a recent podcast with him at the same time I did with Chris Vogler. The reason being, I am obsessively curious about things. And I was fixated on the question, why? Why are we hardwired for storytelling? Why am I so obsessed with with stories? And Will Storr answered this question in like a 250-page book about just evolutionary, from an evolutionary perspective, a neurological perspective, here's why we've needed stories throughout all of human civilization. And it was fascinating. So I won't go any more into that because he and I already did. But if you're not familiar with it, you might find it interesting because when you say we're hardwired, now I understand why based on the conversation that I had with him, which is why it's so important that to me that this is an absolutely essential part of your arsenal. And going back to this idea of uh, where we were talking about being entrepreneurs and the gig economy, uh, uh, I'm going to, at the risk of not getting on a soapbox or starting a Ted talk, my 30 second (laughs) version of this, um, which is very similar to one of the things that you say is if if you go into Google and I've now tested this with chat GPT and say, Mm -hmm. how do I become a doctor or how do I become a brain surgeon? As you would say, I know exactly how to do it. It's simple. It's very challenging here are the steps. Here's the timeline. As long as right. I meet certain benchmarks, I can literally become a brain surgeon. How do I become a writer in Hollywood? Well, you got to pay your dues and put yourself out there and network, network, network. It's like that, that's not a structure. That's not a path. I know those are important components. Um, and I I've just firmly believe that our, our education system is so wildly outdated in preparing us to weather the gig economy and tell our stories and pitch our ideas and brand ourselves um, that I really feel there needs to be a paradigm shift in the way that we educate people about how they actually navigate the paths of the gig economy, which goes back to this idea of being so entrepreneurial. Yes. And I've taught at USC and uh, UCLA and, and different places. And in film schools, when they graduate you with a degree and about $200,000 worth of debt, they don't teach you about the business and how you navigate the business and how you break in and how you succeed. And that's in large part why I wrote the book. Because, you know, people were coming out of film schools and, and not even going to film schools and not having the tools to get what they wanted and needed. So yeah, I agree with you entirely. So I, I wanted to do that zoom out for a second, just to make sure I uh, didn't kind of neglect that. I, I wanted to give people the framing because so often, and I'm sure you hear it from your students, especially those that are more seasoned in the industry, if they're coming out of college, there's still a lot to learn, right? But if somebody right. comes to you specifically with career transitions, of which I, I deal a lot more with that, there's yes. this guilt or the shame of, why don't I know this already? Why can't I figure this out? It's because nobody taught you ever. Yes. So why would you expect to know this stuff? And I'm sure you deal yes. with the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have clients that go from pre-WGA to showrunners. So I know the whole spectrum mm-hmm. of people and what their issues are. And I certainly have dealt with people who have made a transition from a, a life outside of the entertainment industry and but their dream has always been to be in the entertainment industry, often as writers or directors. And, um, you know, I have recovering lawyers, recovering doctors who come and pursue these fields. Yeah. 
Yeah, I get a lot of engineers. That seems to be uh, really? be one. Yeah, people that uh, have gone out of the the engineering field. I had I can never remember the term, but it was a a photoelectrobiochemist. I think is the right term. Basically, scientists that uh, that harness the power of the sun, like solar panels and all the other crazy science that I don't understand. Um, so I've talked wow. to a lot of people in varying industries, and it's always the same thing. I'm supposed to know this stuff. I'm like, no, you're not. Same thing with time right. management. Say all these things that we're never taught. We're given dates and we're given timelines and memorization and formulas and calculations, but there's never this critical thinking about how do I design the story of my own life? Yes, I, totally agree. And I feel that's a gap that you've just so well filled specifically for writers. And now that we've kind of taken this broad view, now I want to zoom back into where we were before and I'm going to go deeper into the nuance of telling our story. So from your perspective, we have a personal log line, which like you said, 30 seconds or less, it's not even really an elevator pitch. It's just here are the basics about me. Then we've got the A story. Then we have these nuggets or these anecdotes. So I want to break right. these down. So give okay. me an example of a really bad log line that you might hear at a party or a mixer. Okay. A really bad one. Really let's bad see. one. Let's let's start with the bad ones and let's improve them. Let's let's uh, let's put some hypothetical person on the hot seat right now. Okay. I like a lot of different things. Um I'm a writer, I'm a director, I'm also an actor and a producer and um I haven't you know, I'm I'm working on a lot of projects right now and a lot of interest in the business for it. And um I, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm going to stop you right there. I've got a friend over there. Uh, I'm just going to go say hi to them. I'll be right back. Sure. Right? Uh, oh, I see what you're saying. I thought you literally had a friend. No, 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 no. Like that, the, yeah. if, you were, if you were doing that 30 seconds, I'm like, no, I'm out, right? That's right. So, That's so right. What, what's wrong with that? Why is that what's a bad wrong with that? Um, part of it is it's too many things. It's too many things. I don't think you're serious. If you're serious, you might want to be a... Writer, producer, writer, actor. You're going to be a writer, actor, director. There are hyphenates, but to just reel off all these things you want to do, I don't believe you. You don't, I'm not taking you seriously. The other is you're rambling and I'm bored. And like you, it's like, excuse me, got to go get a drink. Um, it needs to be concise. It needs to be compelling. There was nothing really compelling about that. Um, and it trailed off and it was, well, I said all the reasons why. I didn't even let That's you trail off because I was so bored and I had other people that I wanted to meet. I was 30 seconds yeah. in and I'm sure everybody has seen this. You're in the middle of conversation and they're talking and you're already thinking, who's the next person I want to talk exactly. to? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, that, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. What? What? Say that again. I didn't hear you. Right. Yes. Um, because it's oh. just, it's boring rambling and it's not specific. Yes, yes, yes. And um, you just said something and I forgot what it was, but it was really good. It was really good. So given all of that, now let's talk about how do we make this better? If I come in and say, well, and the, I think the, the way to frame this even more clearly, and you alluded this, to this already, but I feel like if you can nail the answer to three questions, you're on the road to success in this industry. The first of which is, so what do you do or what are you working on as a variation of that? Tell me about yourself mm -hmm. and do you have any other questions? You can answer right. those three questions really, really well, whether it's in a networking perspective or it's in a job interview, you're going to be in the top 5%. So right now we're in the context of we're at a mixer and it's, you know, so what are you working on or what do you do? And you just gave the really bad version. Now let's right. workshop this and give somebody the really good version of their log line. 
Right. Um, let me do my log line. Yeah, that, let's do it. I think I've got it down. I've been doing it. I bet you do. Years. Let me do. Um, well, I'm the director of the WGA Showrunner Training Program. I created and I'm the director of the CBS Paramount Writers Mentoring Program. I love working with people one-on-one also. So I'm an entertainment career coach as well. I spent 15 years as a development executive at CBS and at uh, Steven Spielberg's first Amblin television division. I love it. Uh, so my name is Zach Arnold. Uh, I'm a recently retired Hollywood film and TV editor, did it for about 20 years. Uh, most recent show was lead editor and associate producer on Cobra Kai. I've worked on Empire, Glee, uh, Burn Notice is another one of my big shows. Oh. And I'm in the process of building a career strategizing and career coaching company as well as podcasting. And essentially, I work with artists, creatives and storytellers, and I help them build the more balanced, more fulfilling and sustainable creative careers that they deserve. Perfect. Perfect. We've got our story down. Zach. We've got our story down. What do the, you the, think? Exactly. The the key here to me is that it's going to make it really easy for me to understand in less than a minute. Is this a conversation that's both even worth having? And number two, can it be mutually beneficial? What the yes. what I always tell my students, and I think we're on the same page, it's never about listening and thinking, oh, what can this person do for me? Let me see what position they're in and how can they help me? All I'm thinking when somebody is telling their story is, where can I help them? And that to me is the mindset shift that makes all the difference in the world. And you've got the same strategies in your book. So talk to me more about how we shift the mindset from it's about me to instead it's about you. Right. We really are on the exact same page because um, the, the reason why most people hate networking and I hate the term networking, I really love connecting much more because mm-hmm. it can just be about connecting or making if not a friend, somebody you're genuinely interested in knowing, um, is I think the reason why people hate it is they feel smarmy about it. They feel like somebody, either somebody's going to do this to them or they're going to do it to somebody where they talk at them for five minutes and they talk all about themselves and they don't pay attention to you. And if it's you, I've heard, you know, my clients have said, I I feel bad because I feel like I should be getting something from them. I don't want to do it. I don't know how to do it. And I just would rather not do it. So one of the best ways to take the pressure off is exactly what you're saying, which is go into every conversation with not what can they do for me, takes a pressure off if you say, how can, how can I help them as they're talking? And I also believe it should be 70% them, 30% you. Um, be, and be curious. And that, and you said you were curious, Zach, it's be curious, ask questions. And if you think about the people that you like, when you meet them, they have this upbeat energy and they're interested in knowing you and you want to know them more. So it, it mutually beneficial relationships is what it's all about. And it's that network of people that are going to help you throughout your career. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. And at one of my favorite lines you had in your entire book about this, uh, literally the vocabulary word networking, um, I think most of the people, if not all of them in my audience will relate to this line. If you say the word networking to some people, they get excited. 
you say that same word to other people and they start to hyperventilate. I know which group I have listening to this one right now, and it's not the ones <laughs> that get excited about the word networking. And the, the if I if they said, well, can you just give me five good questions to ask in a, a networking conversation or to send via cold outreach email or via social media, I would say you're asking the wrong question. Because if I give you the questions, but your mindset hasn't shifted already from it's not about me, it's about them, you're still going to lead towards what can I get out of the conversation. But yeah, once it's about how can I help them, then you ask totally different questions because you have a different objective. And I even I dive deeper into the science that proves that across all industries has nothing to do with entertainment. But the number one scientifically proven way to get somebody to like you is get them to talk about themselves. That's all that exactly. it takes. When they're like, exactly. well, I don't know how to provide value. What do I need to mow their lawn or edit their film for free? And like, just get them to tell a story that they're excited to tell. Well, it can't be that easy. It is really, it, it is. is. We're doing it right it, now. That's right. And, and you know, people often say to me, but this person is so high up on the food chain. I don't know. I don't know how I can help them. And what I believe, and I'm sure you do too, is that every artist wants to hear that somebody responds to their work. So if you can say in a genuine way, but also in a, in, in a specific way, something about their work that moved you, motivated you, touched you, you're giving them a gift. You don't need to do more than that. But it can't just be, ah, I love Cobra Kai. It's got to be something specific that impacted you. That's what people will respond to. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the Topo Mat. The Topo Mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're going to invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a tilt Matt. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me Topo. That's T-O-P-O. 
Yeah, once again, uh, plagiarizing. I mean, it's just absolute plagiarism the way that I've completely pillaged all of your work and I'm just repurposing it. Because um, I say the same, one of the things I go really deep into, I've got a three-step framework specifically for cold outreach. And the mm -hmm. first one is you got to nail the value. And value mm -hmm. is not, you're awesome. Your show is awesome. Or I watched this episode and I really like the way that you use the chiaroscuro uh, low-key lighting technique to really show the, the way that the character is feeling vulnerable. Like, dear Lord, don't give me film school analysis. Exactly. But if you can just simply share how a choice that I made from my uh, just my own experiences, which is why I do creative work, had a positive impact on you, I will talk about that all day long. Because when you boil down why I believe the, the vast majority of creative professionals put ourselves what we put ourselves through is because we want to have a positive impact on others. And when we're in our small, dark rooms, and I don't think there's any more closer analog to the lifestyle of an editor than the lifestyle of a writer. Don't you want to know at some point that all of the things you were excited about at two in the morning while you're writing that thing and listening to your score, that it actually touched somebody? They want to hear that. It doesn't matter where they are in the food chain compared to you. That's right. You're, again, singing the same song, uh, singing definitely the same song. For sure. So let me let me ask you this question, because this could be an area where there's a little bit of a disconnect when we think about branding and pitching versus, well, I just get them to talk about themselves. A thing that you mention a lot, whether it's on the website and the book, it's this idea of you have to be memorable. So how can I walk away being memorable and getting somebody's attention if all I'm doing is getting them to talk about themselves? That is such a fine question. Um, you're not spending the whole time getting them to talk about themselves. You're starting that. And when they start talking and there's something that you relate to, then you should talk about yourself. Tell a story about yourself. Say, wow, you know, when that happened to me, it was X, Y, Z. You should not. I mean, I this is a pet peeve. People who talk at me and I, I never get a word in edgewise. And I'm not saying that you would do that. What I'm saying is that it is important to interject at some point where, where it's an, a point where interjection makes sense, something about you. And if they don't ask you about yourself, then I hate them uh, because they should ask you about yourself. And yours is not to go on. We just talked about this for five minutes, but it's to say something like Zach and I just said that's memorable or colorful. And you can always tell a short, short, short anecdote when somebody is talking about something that happened to them, if it resonates, if it's a good match. That would be my answer to that. Yeah, and uh, I completely agree with that. And what I would uh, layer on top of it is that if you want the simplest path to be memorable in the context of just a general conversation, which is different than if we're talking resumes or websites or right. a formal pitch, those are different contexts. But right now, if it's about the early stages of connecting and building relationships, I think asking really good questions that gets people to tell better stories is a way to be memorable in and of itself. I also think there's a really huge key that you alluded to that I want to highlight one more time. Listen. Just listen to what they're saying. And instead of your responses being, well, now that you're done talking, now I can say the yes. thing that I wanted yes. to versus let's expand the conversation based on the direction that you took it rather than where I would like to take it. Not having an agenda that yes. makes you memorable. Just walking over because I'm sure that you've been in the, the position many times where you're at an event and there's 100, 250, 500 people. And it's, it's a term that I've coined and might even trademark. At the end of it, I call it the sycophant rush. 
where yeah. you stand there and it's just an endless line of people for an hour handing you business cards, pitching themselves. And the one person that asks you the really good questions, that's just really nice and makes you feel good about yourself. That's the person you remember. Yes. Right. The one that I, asks I, I the totally better questions. Agree. Yes. And, and I would add to that, that, um, it's 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 that two prong approach. It's asking the right questions, and and somebody this happens a million times. I'm sure that you reference this. You ask somebody to talk about themselves, and they'll go afterwards. That was such an interesting person. Um, is ask the right questions and respond. I'm just piggybacking on what you said. Not with when they take a breath, then you jump in with what you want to say, but have it be a or an organic conversation. And if it is an organic conversation and you are asking the right questions, as you just said, there will be an opportunity for you to talk about yourself too, and not in an annoying or jerk-like way, just organic. Yeah, and what what I would add to that, but also go in a slightly different direction too, and I'd love to hear your thoughts or your strategies on how to do this. Um, the, the sticking point for so many people with networking or connecting or building relationships is this concept of value. I've never had somebody where I've said to them, you need to lead with value and provide it first. And they say, no, that's stupid. The response mm-hmm. is, that sounds good. I have no idea how to do it. And right. my, when they say, I don't know how to provide value, I believe that's part of the conversation or the question process, whether yes. it's over multiple months via email or in five minutes in a conversation. If like, for example, let, let's use the context of the two of us talking. If we mm-hmm. compare resumes, what you've done both as an executive and a career coach versus me as just the, you know, a little below the line editor, there's a <laughs> large difference on paper, right? But if I can start a conversation where you're talking about some of your challenges, and let's say that, it, I don't think it is, but let's hypothetically say a challenge for you is you really struggle with time management and productivity and staying focused. And that's an area where I can be your mentor. Now right. we're at the peer level. And if I just ask a few questions, then it's like, oh, this is a way that I could provide you value. Or it's even as simple as like, you know, let's say that we're talking to, you know, one of the top writers or directors in the industry. They're like, I just cannot find a decent gardener that I can rely on. My gardener is literally the best gardener in the industry. Let me give you his number. Boom, value. But it requires good conversation where you're asking questions that lead to value that you can provide rather than how can you help me? So how would you answer the question, what does it mean to provide value and how do I do it beyond some of the things we've already discussed? Right. Well, it all starts with listening to totally agree with what you're saying, asking questions that are meaningful questions. And then when you find out what somebody's doing, think about, and I think I use this in the book, it's been a long time since I wrote it, but this is true. Um, I know a boom guy or gal that, could help you with your uh, indie short. Um, if you, and here's one, especially with writers, I'd be, ha- well, we could be directors too. I'd be happy to read your script and give feedback if that would be helpful. Um, and uh, I'd love to look at your cut and give you feedback if that's helpful. And um, I know of a situation, I know of an opportunity I think you'd be right for. And a big thing, there's somebody I think you should meet. And that is huge. There's in uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, he said uh, that there's people called connectors. And we all know them. They're the people who go, 
They have parties. They say, oh, you need to meet my friend so-and-so. They put people together and for those people's mutual benefit. And so just suggesting that they meet somebody that you know who, who could help them is, is a great way to be of value. And then, as I said, just appreciating somebody's work. Yeah, I love that you actually brought up that idea of Malcolm Gladwell's the the connectors in the the book Blink because uh, I remember reading that and my first thought was, well, I'm the most introverted introverts of all introverts that have ever been introverted, <laughs> and I'm like, there's no way that I could ever be a connector. And I've had multiple students who are like, you're like the super connector because yes. I've I've talked to so many different people in so many broad ranges of industries, and all I want to do, like I just did, or yesterday I had a conversation with a prospective new student, and all I'm thinking is, oh, you have to meet this one other student. Like I have hundreds yes. and hundreds of students. I'm like, but you have to meet this one person because you're so similar, and even though you're higher in the food chain than they are, boy, are you peers, and you need to be new best friends, and I see it, and I'm going to make it happen. Love but it. I always thought, well, there's no way I could be the connector in that framework because I just want to be my myself, and do my own thing. And um, I didn't realize how valuable that was until I decided to literally turn it into a business model. So I love that you pointed out that a point, an area that somebody can be valuable is just connecting them with somebody else. Absolutely. And you are no introvert, Zach Arnold. Oh, I, I mean, don't you believe have, it. Ask my wife. That's going to be another podcast. You talk to my wife and see what her answer is to that one. Okay. You're an introverted extrovert. You're an extroverted introvert. Yes. There you go. That's what it is. And it's like being able to turn it on when you need to. I mean, things that energize you, you're out there, but then when you're at rest, it's like, oh, I need to just stay by myself. Yeah, it's funny because I'm going to a networking event this evening where I'm going to be on like a, a guru panel talking about networking and relationship building and how AI yeah. is going to change the industry. I love all the people there. I love the conversations. I'm already dreading the fact that I have to go out somewhere in person because of yes. how exhausted I'm going to be for like a week afterwards for a two hour event. It's going to cost me a week. So for, if we're using the framework of how I expend my energy around other people as introverted or extroverted, I'm 178% introvert, 0% extrovert. But you're right as far as how I like to express myself. And as I'm sure you've run into this a lot in the speaking community, oftentimes the best speakers are very introverted and that's where they express themselves. Interesting. Yes, I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. Um, and I just want to go back to, you, you mentioned networking event and we talked about this earlier. Um, when people come up to me and just talk at me, uh, it's a hard no for me. And don't hand me your business card. I don't think people use business cards. Anymore. I was going to say, so what's a business card? That. I'll put a link to Wikipedia for what that is exactly. for my younger viewers. Um, can I put your uh, contact in my phone? No, because I would, back when people had business cards, I would take them at events and then put them in the trash because there's no way that I'm going to. Um, and don't ask me for something. Don't ask me for something. Like a huge no-no is, don't, uh, will you read my script? Will you look at my short or my feature? It's what people don't understand is you're asking a stranger to take two hours out of their life that they could be spending with their family or on a hobby and, or resting to look at your work and give you feedback. It, it's the worst Hollywood etiquette ever. And I'm sure that's true in all fields. Yeah, but it's, I mean, if there's any industry that I think probably violates it more than any other, it's probably the entertainment industry. 
Um, and the the one area that I guess I want to drill into or clarify, because I think we're on the same page, but I want to make sure people don't misinterpret. When you say don't ask for anything, when it comes to asking for time or review or whatever, totally on the same page. But I think that the ninja way to build a relationship is I do ask you something, but I'm asking it in the form of you tell me your story about how you did this thing. So an example would be that it wouldn't be, Carol, I'm in the process of building a career coaching program. What's your best advice that you could give me? Maybe you could right. read some of my sales emails. Can you give me a review of my sales page? It would be when you were making the transition from being an executive to being a career coach, how did you get better at copywriting? Your sales page was great. How, what, what were some of the resources that you used to become a great copywriter? Because I struggle with Perfect. copywriting. I'm asking you something, but it's in the form of you get to tell me a story. Perfect. Exactly right. And you're asking me it in a way that I don't feel assaulted by it. And you're asking me to talk about myself. And you I also I mean? flattered and, you too. Did you see how I fit that course, in there? You're such a great course. copywriter. <laughs> of course, which is simply not true. but. Yes, um, you make somebody feel good about themselves. You ask them about themselves. Everybody, almost everybody will give you, let me just go back for a minute. I had a client who came from Chicago. She was in advertising and marketing. She said, my goal is to meet 100 people in Hollywood in a year. And by the time we started to work together, she'd had 60 that she'd met mostly through social media and through other people. And she did it by saying, you know, I would love to hear about your journey. Not mm. what can I get about you, but tell me your story. So yes, I think we're on the exact same page. Yeah. And if anybody wants the cheat code to take that to another level, just start a podcast. My best networking cheat code is have your own podcast because you have the yes. best conversations with people and you have their undivided attention. You just have yes. to learn calendar management because, as you know, it's not easy to make it happen consistently. But boy, is it a great way to have amazing conversations and build relationships. Yep. And you so. have a great calendar system, by the way. Really oh, thank you. good. I appreciate really? that. What well, is that, that called? Uh, the, one, the, the specific Calendly. one I use is called You Can Book Me. The The popularized mm -hmm. one is called Calendly. There's a lot yeah. of features about it that I don't really like, so I found a different one. But by the yeah. way, going back to this conversation, if calendar management or scheduling is something you want to help with, that's an area where offline we could chat and I can help make that a little bit easier for you if you wanted to. Thank you. Okay. I love that stuff. Um, yes. So you you said a buzzword in uh, in the previous part of the conversation that I now want to dig into much much further. Okay. You said the two words that I dread the most in the human language: social media. Mm. And this is an area that I know you talk quite a bit about. This is an area that I avoid as much as humanly possible, but I realize is no longer something that we can all just ignore, and it really is a necessary part of the communication process. So far, we've talked mostly about the in-person side of things. I think most of what we applied with some slight nuance can go into the cold outreach game. But social yeah. media is a different animal. And I know that you talk about branding and using social media and connecting. So let's start with some of the basics about how would you advise people build relationships with people directly via social media? Sure. Great question. Um, let me start with TV writers and directors. What you do... Everybody is following the showrunners, the top directors. Everybody's all over that. Find people at the lower to mid level and uh, like what they share and retweet, you know, repost what they put there. Um, and if 
and find an episode of their TV writers that you love that had their name on it. And just, you can, you can do it in a, in a public one. You can do it in a um, DM and you could just say, I just saw your episode of Cobra Kai. And it was fantastic because something specific and um, keep turning it out because I love it. And that way you can start to have a relationship with people. Just again, this in, in, in the virtual space, it's be positive, give them something. You're giving them accolades. Everybody loves that. And you're forming a relationship with them. They'll probably respond to you. If they're super junior level, nobody's reaching out to them and they're flattered. And you can always say, you know, I'm an aspiring director, producer also. And after you have done this for three months that you haven't asked for anything, you can always say, I, if you ever have 15 minutes on Zoom, I'd love to um, hear about your journey. Don't ask them for coffee. Don't ask them for lunch. They don't know you. They don't have the time. They're not going to do it. It shows you don't understand the business. But a Zoom coffee for 15 minutes after you've at the risk, and you didn't do this disingenuously, but you flattered them. It's like what you were just saying to me, Zach, you know, in an authentic, genuine way. They'll do that. They'll do that. And I have two mentees and a client who got their representation through social media and cold uh, outreach. So does that answer your question? Yeah, and I want to dig deeper. No, I think that's a great place to start. Uh, and just as a sidebar, whenever I talk about just how how you can do this, I, I, I still believe even with the way that things are drastically changing with communication, everybody has an email inbox. And eventually I feel you want to get the conversation there if you can, because it can be more genuine and deeper. But it's very yeah. hard to reach people via email, especially nowadays. And social media is a great way to start it. But my yes. biggest break in my career was a combination of a cold application to a Craigslist posting that led to Facebook messaging people, right? So wow. that it can be done in just about any way possible. But again, the formula was value, but that was kind of the path that led there. Um, sure. But um, let, let's go back to this idea. I'm, I'm going to reach out to people, people cold via DM and social media. I'll have my students say, well, you have this formula for outreach. Do I just copy paste my email and put it in a social media DM? And you're already shaking your head. Like, are you crazy? No, Why? No. Why wouldn't they do that? Uh, because it's, it's uh, presumptuous and I don't care. I don't know you. I don't care. Um, and if something is formulaic, I will not respond to it well. I won't respond to it. I have people that give me, send me messages on LinkedIn um, and say, my new film is XYZ and here's the link to it. And I think, I don't know you. I'm not mm -hmm. going and, and anything formulaic would not work for me. Um, yeah, and, and it's, people, I don't know why, yeah. but LinkedIn is by far the worst offender. I don't know what's it different is. about LinkedIn, but there's so many corporate formulaic template messages from all industries that I can't even yeah. use LinkedIn. But it just, yeah. it seems like that's the acceptable place to use all the corporate speak and corporate templates. I don't know why. Yeah, um, I, but no, that doesn't work. So let's, let, we, we can assume whether it's outreach email, whether it's a Twitter DM, LinkedIn, if it's a formula or a template or it's about you, it's useless. But now let's yes. assume you have a really good, unique, thought, uh, thoughtful, heartfelt message that you have via an email, which I would say similar to use two to three paragraphs, short and concise, but it has all of these different things we've talked about. I still right. say, 
you don't copy that and paste it into social media. Would you agree and why? No, totally agree. Because in email, you have two to three paragraphs, as we said. And in social media, you have, um, depending on what it is, you know, three sentences, four sentences. It's, it's not the same. And if you do something that's that long in social media, nobody's going nobody's gonna to read yeah. it. It's all context. It's all expectations. As if I'm going to open a yes. Facebook message, I want to see, like you said, this little blurb. Same with yep. text messages. If you, if, if, even if you think in the context of, I know somebody already and there isn't the barrier that they're a stranger, do you write the same way via email that you do via text? No, it's no. just different ways of communicating. So what I want to know from you, because I'm still workshopping this because I'm one of those that I really avoid social media other than where I see the its ability where I can bring value to others. Me sure. using it as a tool, I still avoid it as much as I can, but I like its ability to spread a message and you know help sure. educate people. Um, sure. But I'm still workshopping. What is the perfect formula for a quick DM to somebody that you eventually want to bring the conversation either to email and or Zoom? And we started with, you know, really love this thing. And I, I love, by the way, where it's you start lower to the people that uh, their messages in their inboxes aren't full. How do you differentiate yourself from other people that are saying, oh, my God, the latest episode of Cobra Kai was awesome. Your editing is so well done. Um, I'd love to learn more about your story. How do you differentiate yourself and really walk away having that perfect direct message that gets somebody's attention? It's all, 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 all about being incredibly thoughtful and specific. Specific, not just, I loved your editing on the last episode. Everybody loved your editing on the last episode. What was it about it particularly? And why did it resonate with me? That's the way to do it. You capture my attention in the first sentence, two sentences. And then it's really about, um, it's really about just saying, uh, you know, and I wouldn't do it on the first one. I never would do it on the first one. I would just say, you know, you're, this is why I loved it. This is what it meant to me. And I'm going to keep watching you because I think you're awesome. I'm going to keep following you because mm -hmm. I think you're awesome. That's it. On the first one, that's it. Don't say, and I want your email or let me give you my email. Don't mm -hmm. do that. Form a re you can form a relationship on social media. It's a different kind of relationship, but it's still a relationship. And that's what you want to do before you ask for anything. Yeah, I have a, a message uh, that I call the mic drop, which is 100% value and 0% stories, 0% ask. And I generally use it in the context of keeping relationships warm, where if you want to reach out after three months, here's all the value in the world. I will, Just like you said, I watched this thing. I really love this choice you made. Here's how it inspired me to write a new pilot script or edit a new scene, whatever it is, right? So no ask at all. It's just here's this thing later. But I think it's a great way, like you said, to start a brand new conversation via social media. Right. It's not something I would, at least in my opinion, send as the very first outreach email message because you're like, great, but what do you actually want from me? But in social media, I think the mic drop works as a cold message, just like you said. Yes. And, you know, I'm sure you have your own formula for this. This is my formula. If you reach out to people when something good happens for them or something good happens for you. And the subject line is either congratulations or um, great news. And you keep it so short. And this is why, at least in the entertainment industry, you should be reading the trades 
so that when one of the people that you've had that you've connected with in the past, something great happens, you can say, you might even say quick congratulations. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody will open an email that says quick generally, and especially if it says congratulations, and don't make it five paragraphs, yeah. one short paragraph. And you can also say very briefly what you've been doing. And then if something great happens for you, you can um, say great news, exclamation point, just wanted to tell you X, Y, Z happened. And you know, you helped me get here. If it's true and authentic and real and keep it at that, but keep on, keep on people's radar, you know, sometimes three times a year, if there isn't anything else that's happening. Um, Also, and you may talk about this, but I firmly believe in it. If something bad happens for them, they get fired. They, their show gets canceled. They, uh, something doesn't get greenlit. Everybody in Hollywood, at least, is so eager to kiss up to you when something happens good for you. But most people just run from failure. So if you say, I just sent this, you said you worked on burn notice. I just sent this to Matt Nix. I said, Matt, no, and my thing was, uh, CBS is stupid, S-T-O-O-P-I-D, because they just canceled True Mm -hmm. Lies. And I said, Matt, True Lies was a fabulous show. It was fun. It was engaging. They, they have their head up for your new, you know what? And um, I know you can go on to do far more better things and not with them necessarily. That's it. That's it. And he sent back, thanks. That's all he sent back. That's all I needed. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Here's how eerie this conversation has become. My follow-up to this was going to be, I don't know if you're familiar with Matt Nix, 
But in my conversation with Matt Nix, we talk about how if you want to build a relationship, you reach out to somebody when their show has been canceled. And I was going to follow up with it by saying, I recently just messaged Matt Nix to let him know I was sorry your show was canceled. So it's you and I are on the the, same page. We're literally copying off of each other. It's kind of sick at this point. Um, But yeah, that's it's, it's, it's really important that it's not just about. Congratulations. That's great. That's not a bad thing, but it feels more genuine and vulnerable when it's like, listen, this sucked. I I watched the whole season. I really enjoyed it. It was great. I'm sorry that you're going through this. Even he attested to those are the people that I respond to that I remember. Um, So shameless plug. I will put a a link to the show notes for my two-part interview with Matt Nix so anybody can listen to it. He is definitely one of the main reasons that I, I have become who I become and his level of uh, faith in me and my talent. He was the showrunner that said, I don't know who this kid is. I don't care that he's never had a credit in TV. He can cut my TV show. Like that was the, wow. the, it, my overnight success story. Matt Nix is a part of that overnight success story. So sure. he and I have a he's very good best. relationship. Yeah, he's awesome. Great. He's um, the best. So one other question when it relates to social media, then I want to go in a very different direction. We talked about outreach via social media, but I know that an area where a lot of people get very, very, um, they're fearful or they have imposter syndrome or they just don't know how to manage it is what if I don't have a presence? What if I send a direct message via Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is, they're going to see my name and click on it. I don't really have anything. What, is, what do I need to do in that circumstance? Does it matter? It's a really good question. I'm not sure it really does. If I encourage people to use social media as a marketing tool for your business without being cold and calculating about it. But that is how people are connected. That's the, mar- the marketplace today. That's where people are. And I don't mean marketplace like that's where you can get a job. I mean, that's where people are um, assembling. And it is in your best interest, I think, even if it's a small presence where you just retweet somebody, you repost somebody, you like their, their stuff, and that you have a profile and you have something interesting to say about yourself in, in describing yourself in that little profile. That's all you need. And you don't have to do it every day. You don't have to do it every week. Just do it sort of on a regular basis without having to do it all the time. But even if somebody, if somebody says something that resonates with me and I click on their name and there's nothing there, I don't care. Personally, I don't care. Which is why the value is important. Because if you give them enough value, you're not thinking, well, how many followers did this person have that just told me how much they love the work? Nobody cares, right? Because you're, yeah. again, you're not selling yourself. You're just building that relationship. So I just, I wanted to put it out there. There are so many people. There's one person specifically that I know is listening that's thinking, yeah, he asked for my sake. I'm not going to say her name, but at the end of the day, so many people ask me, do I have to put up all these fake posts and all this stuff in case no, I want to message no. them? I'm like, nobody cares. Just nobody be a person. That's, if you want to do that, great, but don't force yourself to do it if it doesn't feel natural and organic. Exactly. So the, the direction that I want to take us now is an area that I know you're very focused on uh, at this time, as opposed to the book, which has kind of become this evergreen, amazing resource. It's this idea of getting unstuck when you feel stuck in a right. career transition. So I want right. to use the the last remaining time we have to talk about that. But I want to start with, I think there's an area where on paper, I think you and I differ. And I have a feeling if I dig deeper into it, I'm going to find that's not the case. Oh, but, right here. Uh, a fairly common theme that I've seen uh, mentioned, especially in the earlier stages of breaking into your career, and if we look at even your other book, it's this idea that 
you give it everything you've got, you, you pull the all-nighter, you work until 3 or 4 a.m., and I believe that to a certain extent you have to prove yourself. However, one of my main arguments and the reason I started this entire community is that we have to find a more sustainable way to make a living and not kill ourselves in the process of telling stories for the sake of Hollywood when they're literally killing us. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the strategies that you mentioned as far as, you know, you have to be the one that does that coverage until 5 a.m. and shows up at 8 a.m. Because that's an area, something tells me you and I are a lot closer than I think, but on paper, it seems like we have differing viewpoints. Sure, sure. Uh, We do have similar values. I was looking at your website, of course, and looking at the things that are important to you, they're important to me, is that you do good work and you don't kill yourself because it's not worth it. Alan Ball, who did um, Six Feet Under and American Beauty, I had him, uh, I interviewed him for the showrunner program and he said, it's just a TV show. It's not worth getting sick over. I stayed up till five in the morning and delivered that coverage at, you know, 7 a.m. because I was just breaking in. And I think you have to go above and beyond when you're just breaking in. But if you're finding that the work you're doing is killing you, I think you have to have a work-life balance and you have to have boundaries. And there are people who will take advantage of you until the cows come home and there's toxic people. And I think you have to make some decisions about where your lines are, where your boundaries are. Also, if you're somebody that waits to the very last minute, and I mean, this is like school stuff, right? You wait to the very last minute to turn in your assignment and you're staying up all night. Pace yourself, pace yourself, give yourself milestones and then hit them and don't do it all at once. And with my clients who are, you know, writing or directing, I say, work for 30 minutes at a time. And it's how I wrote the book. The book was really hard for me to write, really hard. Um, and I procrastinated so much. And the only way I broke through my procrastination was writing it in really small baby steps. Um, it's not worth getting sick over. That's my bottom line. So do you think we're on the same page? Yeah, I I think we're way closer and I want to dig a little bit deeper into it and then talk more about the the program that you're building to help people get unstuck. Um, I often say that, uh, if creative minds were good at time management, I would have no business model. Um, cause that's, that's an area where I excel and I've helped a lot of right. people that deal with that procrastination or the imposter syndrome that stops them from looking at the blank right. page or the blank timeline. So I agree that there, there's a certain level of responsibility. I think the creative minds have to take when it comes to the long hours and especially the erosion of work-life balance now in the hybrid work from home. And like there, right. there is no more work week and weekends or the day work day versus the evenings. Like it's all, it's so blended together. And yeah. the key word that we use in the program all the time is boundaries. So mm-hmm. the the key for me is that I agree with you that there is a period where you do need to pay your dues. Like I, I was working 18, 20 hours a day to prove myself. Jeez. The, the difference is you have to make sure you're working with people that recognize it and respect you. Yes. If, if you're working 20 hours a day because you're being exploited or taking advantage of, that's totally right. different than you didn't even ask me to put in this time, but I really want to demonstrate the value I can provide to you. So for a short period of time, I'm in the trenches. I'm yep. giving you everything I've got. And they see that and they're like, this is amazing. What can I do to help you move forwards? That's different yes. than do it again. 
do it over and yes. over and over. And if you don't, I can replace you tomorrow. Have you seen yes. the stack of resumes on my desk? If this isn't yes. what you give me every day, well, then you're not putting in enough. That's the problem that I have with the, the politics of this industry. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. In the beginning, to break through, in my opinion, you need to do 110 or 112 percent to set yourself apart from everybody else that just wants to get in. But once you're in it, you're absolutely right. Toxic, exploitive people. You have to really ask yourself, is this worth it? And, you know, generally speaking, if you're working 20 hours a, a day and you're doing that over and over, it's not worth it. I mean, it's your own decision, but it's not worth it. Yeah. The the other thing that I talk to my students about, especially because most of the people that come to me, um, they're not coming right out of college. Because when I started, right. I, I, for a period of time, I was talking about the working conditions in the industry and burnout and everything. You tell that to 23-year-olds, they're like, yeah, that's never going to happen to me. Let me show you. Then they come back to me when they're 27, 28, 35. They're like, never mind. Okay, I get it now. How, how do I make this more sustainable? And what right. I always tell them is that you train people how it's acceptable to treat you. Mm, and if you mm -hmm. allow people to walk all over you and you don't set boundaries, then it's partially your responsibility for the fact that they're asking these things of you because you continually say that it's OK. So, again, I think right. it's about the, the realm of when is it acceptable to put in this time and this energy versus it's no longer acceptable. So I now that we've had this talk, all the areas where you talk about this 112 percent because everybody else is giving 100 percent. Now, this makes a lot more sense. And I think you and I yes. are, are in agreement. But I wanted to clarify that. Because the last thing that I want to do with any message or platform is amplify how you need to give everything to the industry with no respect in return. Because that I just Absolutely. adamantly disagree with. We don't, we see eye to eye on that. And I would also say, even if you're transitioning from another business here, you still need to give 112% in the beginning. In the beginning. And, and I would just piggyback on what you're saying and say, you can set limits with people, you can set boundaries, and like 90% of them will get it. And there's 10% that will not. They're just horrible people. And there's nothing you can do to change them. So brush off your resume and find someplace else to work. Yeah. Find people that are going to value and respect your contribution. Sometimes yes. it's just going to be hard work. I mean, Cobra Kai, hardest show I've ever worked on in my career. There have been late nights. There have been tough note sessions. There have been, you know, screenings where you thought you were going to be able to go home and you couldn't because there was something that had to be fixed. But the the level of uh, respect and the value that I get from working with those creators, it's like, we're all just in this together. Let's just solve this yes. problem versus yes. do this thing for me so I can go and do these other things and let me know when you're done, even if it's an all night yeah. note session, right? That that to right. me is the difference. Um, yes. And I don't know, I don't know if that's a, a really good entree into it or not, but I want you to talk more about this specific uh, program that you're putting together specifically to help people get unstuck when they're making career transitions, because boy, are you in my niche right now. So curious <laughs> to hear what it is that you're working on. Sure, sure. Um, may I use profanity on your show? Oh, dear Lord. Yes, please go ahead. Okay. My program is called Get the Fuck Unstuck. It's... Um, it's a coaching program. It's a four week program. And, you know, once a week, it's live uh, virtually. And what we do is go through, and I'm sure you do the same thing, because uh, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just how you position it and what, and the flavor you bring to, your, mm -hmm. to it yourself is 
getting crystal clear on what your uh, true goals are and then finding out what the obstacles are, getting really creative about overcoming those obstacles. I call it changing your, transforming your obstacles into action steps, making the action steps so manageable. Um, Somebody said this to me, is that you could do this thing even if something unexpected happened, like you got rear-ended. In a month, you could do it. Um, Of course, not if you got injured getting rear-ended, but in and set manageable goals. That's a number one thing that I think is important. Doable, manageable, so that you can feel good afterwards because you accomplished it. Then we talk about um, support and accountability. Really essential, because we all have great ideas. Yes, yes, we're going to do this thing, and we're on the path, and then you lose traction. And if you have ongoing accountability, then you stay connected and motivated all the time. And that's what I talk about. That's what we work on. It's highly interactive. There's lots of exercises. There's lots of homework. Um, There's lots of time for questions and getting clarity on what you're doing and getting feedback. Um, And that's that's how you get the fuck unstuck. Oh my God. I love it. And this, the, the tables have now turned 180 degrees because we went from the fear of I've plagiarized you to now clearly you're plagiarizing and stealing from me because you, <laughs> Debbie right now, my podcast producer who's listening behind the scenes, she's got to be thinking, you got to be kidding me right now because you just described our focus yourself program which is the same thing you talked about. It's like this small group live environment and it's going through and setting goals, identifying the obstacles that are stopping you, focusing on the very clear things that you need to do next, breaking it down into very manageable steps, taking action, (laughs) and then doing a regular review and reflection so you can iterate, learn from your failures and keep moving forwards. Um, So when you were describing this, I'm like, you you gotta be kidding me. Like this is downright... Eerie. I don't know what's in your water, but it's clearly the same water supply that I have. Um, I am firmly convinced you and I need to have a much deeper dive mastermind to compare notes because I think that there's Absolutely. a lot of areas where we could benefit each other's audiences. Um, sure. But the one thing I want to dig into a little bit deeper is this idea of goals. Because I, what I have found, and I'm sure you found this as well, is that when it comes back to this idea of networking and outreach and building relationships, people always want to know what are the best icebreakers and networking events, or what's a great subject line for my email, or who am I supposed to be connecting with? And what I find, especially when I work with beginners, none of that's helpful because they have no idea what they want to do with their life. Right. And they have to learn goal setting, which goes back to what we said before. Nobody teaches us this. We're just that's supposed right. to know it. And right. the, the area that I want to dig in deeper is I feel like people get in trouble when they misinterpret you need to set manageable goals. What right. a lot of people hear is, oh, I need, to, I need to keep it simple and smart. They need to be smart goals and they have to be realistic. And I both agree and disagree with that. So I'm going to expand a little and I want to see what your thoughts are. Sure. I think that you should have a vision that is so ridiculously outlandish and stupid that people laugh out loud. I think the goals that you set to achieve that vision should be so small and manageable that, like you said, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, you can get them done. Uh, An example would be, and I've used this as a teaching tool in my community for years, about five and a half years ago, vastly out of shape, horribly burned out, not doing well mentally, physically, or otherwise. And I woke up and said, 
I'm going to become an American Ninja Warrior. That is an outlandishly stupid vision. But the goals were, let's see if we can lose five pounds in three months. Let's see if we can, you know, gain three pounds of strength on the grip, like all these little tiny nuances. But the the fear that I have is when people hear the word realistic or manageable, what they do is they limit themselves. And I do not want people to limit themselves. So I'm curious, what is your goal setting process for your writers and your other students? Right. Well, first, I have them do an exercise, which is exactly what you're saying. We are so on the same page. This is scary. It really is. I know. I know. I know. I think it's so interesting. And there's room for both of us. There's totally room for, there's room for everybody. The rising tide lifts all the boats. That's how I approach it. There is no competition. We're all here to help each other. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, So what I ask people is, what would you do if you had all the resources you need and you couldn't fail? That's where people's true desires come out that get past their fears. And those are the goals. I totally agree with you. You come up with something, you say it outlandish and people will laugh at you. That's your, that's how you do. I mean, that's your style, right? And mine is, what is it that you would love to do that you would do if you couldn't fail? And what are you, what are you great at? What are you passionate about? What would you do if nobody said you, if, if nobody paid you to do it, but you love it so much? And then we work backwards from there. So the, it's not setting realistic goals for your pro- top priority goal. It's how do you get there and setting, setting manageable goals for getting to that dream. So we're saying exactly the same thing, just with different terminology. Yeah. So uh, again, I'm just going to double, triple and quadruple down on the fact that I'm pretty sure you and I are going to have to do one of our uh, own uh, Zoom calls, coffee conversations, lunches, sure. whatever it looks like, because I'm I'm really intrigued by all the things that you're doing. And I, I think there's a lot of and overlap. You. Um, and there is. Uh, but what I'm curious about is just to to make sure that I can leave somebody that's listening. Uh, I certainly don't have the audience of writers that you do, but I have some writers uh, that come to me specifically that are interested in career transitions and networking and whatnot. A whole litany of other crafts, mostly editors, composers, lots of below the line. Um, mm-hmm. But going on your site, you have so many great free resources. I wouldn't yeah. even know where to start to direct them, but I know as somebody that's entrepreneurial minded, there's probably an area you want to direct their focus. So if somebody wanted to start working with you just as a free resource, where do we want to direct sure. them? You want to go to carolkirshner.com, which is C-A-R-O-L-E. This must be somewhere on your site. Yeah, Kirshner. We'll have it in the show notes. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dot com. If, if you sign up for my mailing list, uh, and I promise I don't sell it to anybody, nothing else, um, you'll start to get emails with the information about what's happening and going on. Also, I have a free ebook called Telling Your Story in 60 Seconds. That's your personal log mm-hmm. line. I have, because I teach another course on how you pitch a TV show that sells, the ultimate guide to uh, pitching a TV show that sells. I just put out um, the 30-day goal-setting formula for screenwriters who want to get shit done. Mm, I and love that. So it, it encompasses all of that. Um, and if you go to the website, you can find it. 
Yeah, I love it. Uh, I'm going to make sure that we have links to all of that and more, and we can send people to your site, to your resources, because again, right. I believe that the rising tide lifts all boats. So the, the place I want to leave us is yes. essentially the the most horrible, common, boring question that anybody asks. But given we've been talking about it for 90 minutes, I want to end where most people start. If you had one piece of advice you could give in 90 seconds or less to somebody that wants the best advice about how to break into the industry, how do you distill everything down to this is where to focus first? Really good question. And we're going to have the same answer, Zach. It's work on your craft and see how you can help people. If, 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 if you do those two things, make yourself memorable. And see how you can help. See how you can make somebody's life easier. And it, it will be with your craft. It will be with what you have to offer. Um, and, you know, be curious. It's really about being curious and learning how to improve your craft. I, I, I'm sure you give an answer very similar to that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not quite word for word, but structurally, framework-wise, it's very, very close. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad that the, the universe brought us together in a very circuitous way uh, and that yes. I got, quote, unquote, lucky uh, that I got the opportunity <laughs> to have you here. I can't thank you enough. I'm going to make sure to send everybody that's listening or reading the newsletter to your resources and to your site. And thank really you, meaningful to me that you took the time out of your very busy day and practice and life to be here and share your story. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.